G'day, and welcome to the AHDC podcast series, Health Design on the Go. I'm your host, David Cummins, and today we're speaking to Andy Bradley, who is one of the newest members of the AHDC committee. Andy is the chair of the newly formed Sustainability Subcommittee. When he's not on AHDC duties, Andy is a managing director of X Bureau, which is a project management and engineering consultancy who specialise in the delivery of healthcare projects. Welcome, Andy. Thank you for your time. Thanks, David. Lovely to be here. Thank you. So I think for most people that listen to the podcast series, they'll notice something different in you as we have had with the other people we've interviewed. Where exactly are you from and how did you get over to Australia? How are you part of the AHDC with that accent? Oh, uh, so obviously I'm from uh, Scotland. For for those familiar with Scotland, I'm from a sunny little suburb called Glasgow. So yeah, moved over to Australia around about 12 years ago and yeah, living out in Cleveland and sunny Brisbane. So you studied there, you're an engineer, correct? Yeah, look, I'm a, a, an engineer by trade. Started off, went went through school and my dad was a plumber, so I suppose I was always destined to become an engineer. Looking back now, my mum was a home help, so I'm wondering if that kind of influenced my uh, healthcare interest. But yeah, I studied at the University of Strathclyde, engineering there. Came out around about the age of 20, 21, and uh, was really lucky to secure a job with an engineering consultancy in Scotland who specialised in healthcare, did five years with uh, that consultancy in Scotland. And then with that consultancy, moved down to London. I had a, had a grand plan of moving down to the big smoke for a year. <laughs> so you were lucky enough to start your career in health as an engineer. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So I, 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 I was really lucky that the company that um, I started with, and I, I spent oh, 13, 14 years with them. So like one of the the last jobs I did in the UK, in Scotland before I moved to London was the new Edinburgh Royal Infirmary. It was quite interesting because that was the first PFI project that was built in the UK. So, you know, I kind of cut my teeth into that, spent two or three years doing that project and then moved south. For those that don't know, what's PHFI? PFI is the public PFI. finance, uh, very similar to PPP. So was that where you started to get an interest in sustainability? Yeah, well, the, the PFI model, and, and we're talking, oh, this is 18, 19 years ago, the PFI model back then actually had some really quite stringent targets. Uh, and e- even then, back in the UK, we were focusing on the carbon footprint of the the buildings, uh, not just healthcare, but any public buildings. So that was where legislation really forced the industry to react. And over the next 10, 12 years, in the UK, the screw got tightened and it was all driven by legislation. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, the the research shows that the carbon footprint of Australian healthcare is about 7%, yet in the UK, it's about 2.8, with a global average of 3.5. I think it was you actually that highlighted to me when the EU actually did bring in that legislation. Do you think that would ever happen in Australia? Because we seem to be a good 10, 20 even 30 years behind, especially in healthcare, behind the UK, Scandinavia, Canada, when it comes to legislation behind construction and building and life cycle carbon footprint? I, th- I think we're probably not, not as far behind in general construction and construction techniques and methodology. Uh, in terms of carbon and being brave about how we tackle it, yeah, we are quite behind. Having said that, that 
there are huge strides being made at the moment. And, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment about the all-electric hospital and how we uh, push towards an all-electric environment within healthcare in Australia. However, fundamentally, most of the electricity in Australia is still produced by coal. So there, there, there is a real challenge there. And in terms of how we enforce it, how we really make that step change, I think it does. It has to come with legislation. I suppose for for Australia, being the lucky country that we are, we've always been able to essentially fund our own healthcare. Even the PPP model here, it's a blended model. Whereas in, in the UK, the, the model for PFI or PPP, it, it was completely handed over to the, the private sector and it was just a single unitary payment, including staff. So uh, there was much more scope for the government to pass on the operational costs, the operational carbon footprint, all the operational stuff associated with the, the hospital, pass it straight over to the private sector. Yeah, I totally agree. But there does seem to be, especially in the healthcare industry, this huge resistance towards change, especially when it does come to sustainability. For example, if you require more sustainability initiatives, you have to lose scope. It costs more money. What do you think Australia is doing wrong, or could I say could enhance to do to help our healthcare sustainability carbon footprint? I think it's actually coming, to be honest. Like we're involved in probably five or six projects just now that there there is a sustainability charter. The thing that will accelerate that most is fuel prices. As the fuel prices go up and the payback periods come down, I, th- I think you'll see then that the the whole uh, appetite for sustainable solutions will really kick in. However, that that will have to be driven by the public sector. It won't be done by the private sector. No, I totally agree. It must have been quite a shock. I've spoken to a few UK-based builders and, and project managers who have worked in the UK who come over to Australia and just are gobsmacked by some of the initiatives that we don't actually take on board. How did you find that transition from working you know, in quite a strong environment, especially in the UK, to coming to Australia where those initiatives, especially 20 years ago, weren't really talked about as much? Oh, look, there's a lot of stuff we do a lot better here than back in the UK. I've delivered uh, hospital projects in the US, the UK, Asia, Middle East, all, all over the world. So I've, I've got a fairly kind of broad idea of what's happening across the world. Australia, I suppose, we are playing a bit of catch up, but the fuel price has been so low here for a long time that it's not been a priority. The priority probably has been building new facilities. Yeah, it is a shock to the system when you arrive. You know, this, we were talking 10, 12 years ago. You, you look at the construction code and the Section J and you compare it to other construction and sustainability codes around about the world. It's, it was at the time a lot um, easier to comply. The gap is reducing, but probably not quickly enough. To me, the, the only way that that gap will, will close and we will catch up with the, the sort of northern European countries as we make legislative changes. There'll be two things. It'll be legislation and fuel price increase. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. So over your career, which is, as you said, spanned 
almost every continent in the world. What would be some of your career highlights that I suppose your, your greatest and proudest achievements? So probably the, the, the highlights would be, you know, finishing the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. It was a 1,300 bed, 32 theatres, you know, uh, massive live university hospital. We finished that six months early, built under PPP and yeah, seen patients roll in quickly. To me, that was a that was a massive highlight. Moving to Australia was a big highlight. Obviously, setting up setting up Bex Bureau was another highlight as well. But yeah, that, they're, they're probably the key ones. And what would be some of the best teachings or lowlights? Oh, that's a good one. I was once given really good advice by an old mentor who said, look, take, take your career in five-year chunks. Looking back, I probably have uh, made changes every five, six years. I think now more than ever, people are looking at portfolio careers or people are looking for a different way of living and blending their work life. In terms of uh, low light, to be honest, you know, you, I moved to London as quite a young man, 21, 22 years old, and it was a hard old time. You move into a big city and you're on your own as a, a young lad from Glasgow and you get lonely. That was uh, probably the lowest point. So no real no real career lowlights, but life lifestyle lowlights. So Throughout your career, what what have been some of the major changes you've discovered and I suppose been part of that change, especially as an engineer and a project manager on the forefront of all these major projects? Oh, look, you know, I started back in the mid-90s and the construction industry in the UK was very adversarial. Over the sort of next 10, 15 years in the UK, I've seen a, a massive change from an adversarial model to a real collaborative model. And the outcomes for the end user, the big surprise was moving over to Australia in 2011. I went back to this crazy adversarial model and the way that we attacked buildings then and projects then was, yeah, I felt as if I'd went back 10 years in terms of the way that the industry worked and it was a, a very them and us and, you know, a lack of a lack of trust and uh, a lack of collaboration between the the client, the consultants and the contracting team. Moving forward 10 years now, I'm beginning to see more collaboration and that's been driven by some of the really large contractor developers. That, that to me would be the one thing that I think we need to really still get to here is a more collaborative, collegiate approach to construction in, in Australia. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. Getting back to your sustainability background, you're now chair of the Australian Health Sustainability Committee, which is a subcommittee of the Australian Health Design Council. Do you mind just telling us a little bit more about that? So the committee have brought together one wonderful group uh, of very big characters, very wide experience, a wide range of experience. You know, we have people from the uh, clean energy finance sector. We have people from large international consultancies. We have people from massive contracting companies. We have architects, we have engineers, we have project managers. What what would I like to achieve? I would like to see us looking at getting some kind of uh, means of bringing in some legislation into the industry. And that might be a soft measure of education and then introducing it to the OZ health facility guidelines and bringing it in that way, then almost by osmosis getting it introduced to the NCC. The longer term plan for me, I suppose, would be to see us helping in some little way to change the legislation or at least help move those that are writing the legislation to feel compelled to change it. 
Yeah, I certainly do think we will be part of that change. We've only got a few minutes left. Just before we go, do you have any take-home messages or words of encouragement for people that do want to get involved and actually be part of that change as well? Yeah, look, one of the, the, the big frustrations is when people get involved in healthcare design, they always default back to the, the guidelines. You know, and this isn't just in Australia, this could be in the US, Northern Europe, it's certainly happening in Singapore. People go back to the guidelines. To me, as a project manager or former engineer or a designer of hospitals, I I want to see people push the guidelines. To me, the guidelines are the minimum. They're the absolute minimum. Yeah, I totally agree, especially when it comes down to the operations. And you talked to earlier, the actual life cycle of the hospital, which is, you know, approximately about 50 years. And final question, what does the future look like for health design or health sustainability for you? For me, I would like to see health design and the guidelines that people are focused on at the moment, health design really looking at the changes in model of care that are coming. So, you know, we are, and and I've seen it in the UK, we, we were building massive hospitals that essentially shouldn't be needed. Having the technology that we have nowadays there's, there's, there's got to be a way that we can be building a lot more, call it satellite hubs. And your hospital in the middle of town would be a real research facility, an acute specialist centre. To me, you know, people don't want to be going to hospital. They want to be getting treated at home. And the technology is there now. Uh, so to me, the, the, the model of care should drive, or the future model of care should drive the design. And the design just really needs to catch up. You're 100% right. Those health planners are so important to establish the models of care, functional briefs, the service plan, and actually just that little bit of extra time with that planning, especially if you incorporate sustainability and the operations and the life cycle of the hospital, it just makes such a big difference. Yeah, I think the last 24, 28 months of COVID, it's probably changed the way people think about life as well. You know, people would be a lot more comfortable now probably sitting having an online meeting with their specialist than they would have been 24 months ago. Yeah, I agree. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for your time today. You've been listening to the Australian Healthcare Design Council podcast series, Health Design on the Go. If you'd like to learn more about the AHDC, please connect with us on our website or LinkedIn. Thank you for listening. Thank you.